Good morning. Our scripture reading today is 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. In the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live when they observe your pure, reverent lives. Don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry, but rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For in the past, the holy women who put their hope in God also adorned themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You have become her children when you do what is good and do not fear any intimidation. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to your word now, may we come as those who desire to hear from one who knows, from one who knows how relationships ought to work because you are the one who designed them. Or may we come humbly, may we come ready to hear, may we come joyfully to receive what you have for us this morning from your word. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. The God of the Bible is the God of relationships. Relationships are, as we all know, an inescapable part of human experience. We all have relationships with parents, with family, with friends, with coworkers, with our quirky neighbor. We all have relationships. Having relationships is simply part of what it means to be human. Even Tom Hanks, when cast away on an island by himself, what did he do? He painted a face on a ball and called him Wilson. Why? Because we are all wired for relationships. We possess a deep and natural desire to have meaningful interactions with other intelligent beings and perhaps even a few who are not intelligent. But just because relationships are a natural part of life, it does not mean that we are good at them. We often are not. It doesn't mean we do it well. We often do not. Many people in our day seek out relationship counselors and therapists. Why? Because relationships are hard and, we, and are prone to being strained and broken. We don't naturally understand how relationships work and how they function best. But the God of the Bible is the God of relationships. He created our relational capacity, and he knows best what our relationships should look like. God knows best because He designed us, and because he's been doing relationships loads longer than any of us have, right? Think about it. From eternity past, 
God has existed in relationship. There never was a time when God wasn't enjoying relational fellowship within himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God the Father knows perfect and eternal fellowship with God the Son. And God the Spirit mediates that fellowship and love and joy between Father and Son. Each divine person knowing perfectly and perfectly enacting their role, their relational role. God has been doing relationships far longer and on a far deeper scale than we can possibly imagine. So, don't you think we should listen to him? Don't you think we should hear what he has to say? Shouldn't he know best how relationships ought to work? I think you'd have to say, yeah, yes. Both from the standpoint of design and experience, to say nothing of omniscience, God knowing everything, God should know best how relationships ought to work. God knows best how relationships ought to work even when the circumstances are far from ideal. Even when those relationships take place in the context of human sin and disobedience. So, this morning, we want to listen to what God says, trusting He knows better than we do how relationships ought to work. Let's hear what God's Word has to say, both to women and to men, to wives and to husbands, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-7. through 7. If you're taking notes this morning, I'm going to give you three big headings apiece, both for wives and for husbands. Three headings. Uh, the headings for the wives will cover two verses each, uh, and all three headings will, for the husbands will come in verse 7. Uh, we're, we're, we're playing uh, equal here this morning, three headings apiece for husbands and wives. I didn't want anyone to feel slighted, so each gets three headings. First, I want you to see this in verses 1 and 2. I want you to see the attitude that wins the heart. The attitude that wins the heart. Look at verses 1 and 2. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Now, straight off the bat, there is one big obstacle, one big stumbling stone for modern readers stumbling over in verse 1. It's one word. It's one term. What is it? Submissive. I heard it. Submissive. Why does that one word quicken the pulse? And get people fighting mad in our day. Maybe it gets you fighting mad. One word. Why? I think for most people, it boils down to two things. See if it's the case with you or or with your friends. Two things. I think most of the hate boils down to two reasons. Number one, people hate submission because in their minds, submission necessarily implies something. 
it necessarily implies lesser value. Lesser value. They read verse 1 as assigning a lesser value to the wife than to the husband. Because to them, submission itself implies that one party is of lesser worth than the other. That's the first reason. Second reason is this. People hate submission because they've only ever seen the abuse of it, not the beauty. Modern people hate the idea of submission because they imagine all the abuses, but none of the beauties. How do you respond to those two charges? Church, Christian, how do you respond? There's a lot that could be said, but I think the simplest response may be this. In one phrase, how do you respond? You say, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. How is Jesus' relationship to the Father described? Isn't it described as submissive? Submissive. Same word, submissive. Doesn't, does that make Jesus less than or less valuable? No, it doesn't. Jesus just has a different role. The Son of God just has a different relational part to play. Now, I'm going to dive into that a lot more near the end of the message. I'm coming back to it. But for now, just remember that you can debunk the myth that submission implies lesser value in one word. The Sunday school answer, Jesus. Look at Jesus. Jesus is equal in deity in dignity, in worth, and yet he submits. Instead of making this an ugly word, Jesus' life and example heaps honor after honor upon it. The greatest in Jesus' kingdom will be those who follow most after him in submission, in being submissive. Peter says, This is the attitude, this attitude, this is the attitude that runs so contrary to the world that its presence in a wife can break the heart, can win the heart of even the most disobedient of husbands. Wives, be submissive to your own husbands so that even if they are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word. A disbelieving husband cannot long deny or ignore the power of Christ on display in his wife when this quality overflows from her heart continually. It would take a great suppression of truth and beauty for him not to see it. So, wise, be submissive to your own husbands. There is beauty here. It's a quiet beauty that is a conquering beauty as well. This beauty conquers. A quiet beauty that can conquer a husband's disbelieving heart in a way that the boldest preaching cannot, oftentimes. So, wives, push against the abuses by taking hold of the beauty. Then you will find that following Christ 
will be both follow him both in submission and in capturing hearts for God. Christ did both. Wives do both in being submissive. I do, however, want to give two caveats before I move on from here. Two caveats. Number one, Peter says, wives be submissive to your own husbands. Peter does not say, all women be submissive to all men. Verse 1 only speaks to one covenant relationship and one only. Not every relationship, one relationship. Just one covenant relationship, the one that creates a new family. That relationship. This is not a rule in general, but a role in one very specific relationship. Don't get that confused. Don't make that mistake. That's caveat number one. Here's number two. Peter says, wives be submissive to your own husbands. He does not say, wives be submissive to your own husbands in all things. In all things. That's an important and intentional omission. God calls all of us to be submissive, all of us to be submissive to good and proper authority, like government. But we are not to submit to the government whenever it means disobedience to God, right? Better we obey God than man. There will be times when we will have to make a choice, do I obey God or the state? When Rome says, stop worshiping Jesus, do we submit to that? No. When your husband says, stop worshiping Jesus, do you submit to that? No. No. Better for him that you obey God's word and not his. Wives, there might well be times, perhaps many times, when you must choose. Do I submit to God's will? Or to my husband's. But thankfully, in most cases, you'll be spared from that choice because God's normal will for you is this this Christ like attitude that wins the heart in verses one and two. Look now at verses three and four. In verses three and four, we find a second main heading. I want you to see here the adornment that's precious in God's sight. The adornment that's precious in God's sight. Verse 3. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding of of the hair, wearing and wearing of gold jewelry, and putting on of dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Okay, Peter. (laughs) Now you're talking about what women wear. Help a brother out. Come on. Again, we may bristle at first, but we all know that something beautiful is being said here. Something good. Something free is being said. Peter isn't saying, ladies, don't make an effort with your appearance. I make an effort sometimes. I do. I make an effort sometimes. Peter isn't saying, don't make an effort with your appearance, but he is saying, make a greater effort on your character. 
make a greater effort on your character. The state of your heart is vastly more important than the state of your clothes and your wardrobe. The hidden qualities within you are vastly more beautiful to God than the outward ones that others see. The things that turn heads on the street do not impress God. God's sight penetrates surface-level beauty and looks within. So, don't focus on what's fading. Instead, adorn yourself with a character that will shine brightly a hundred thousand lifetimes from now. And I'll say this, ladies. Picture for a moment, picture the most lovely and fashionable woman you can imagine. You know, the movie star, the supermodel. One day, you will outshine her more than the sun outshines the moon. More than Galadriel outshines Gimli, the dwarf. You will outshine her. Why? Because Christ promises to clothe you in immortality and glory. Your fashion will be timeless and your beauty will be ageless. Focus on adoring, adorning that future self by adorning your character now. Here's a third and final thing for wives to see. I want you to see the example that casts out fear. The example that casts out fear in verses 5 and 6. Verse 5. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Again, we can bristle here, can't we? We can bristle at a word or a phrase and miss the larger point. We can bristle at Sarah calling Abraham Lord because it feels so medieval. It feels so unmodern. And maybe it is because I I really can't think of a modern equivalent to this. Can you? A modern equivalent. Uh, What is the modern day equivalent to Lord and Lady? I don't know. I don't know. But I do know that there is something lovely about this motif. Husband and wife as Lord and Lady. Husband and wife as a sort of king and queen, ruling well in their spheres and exercising a joyful dominion in their little realm. There is an echo of Eden here. Adam and Eve as Lord and Lady over God's creation. There's something lovely. Something we would recognize as lovely except for the curse. Now, my wife Lynn does not call me Lord. (laughs) Don't worry, don't worry. But since we've gotten a dog, in his presence I often get called master. So husbands, if you want a little respect around the house, maybe you should get yourself a dog. Uh, because master's home is the cry that echoes out before a big dog jumps on me as I come home. Uh, Now, we may no longer have the appropriate terminology, 
But let's not lose the loveliness of this dynamic. Husband and wife as Lord and Lady, caring for creation. And together, cultivating land and family that God has given them. That's, that's lovely. But that's just the minor point in these two verses. Here's the major point. The major point is this. Wives, God wants you to hope in him and not be frightened. Not be frightened by any fear. You are not the first to walk this way, to marry and begin a family. Others have gone before you. They hoped in God and put off their fears. It doesn't mean their example was perfect. Sarah is mentioned here. Sarah had flaws, didn't she? Sarah had flaws that aren't glossed over in Genesis, not glossed over in the Bible. Abraham didn't didn't always do right by her, but nor did Sarah always do right by Abraham. But despite all their flaws, women like Sarah, walked with God. So ask yourself, why may not I? They walked with God. Despite all their flaws, why may not I? You may. You can. God invites you to. God invites you to cast off your fears by putting all your hope in Him. That's all I have to say to women this morning. But now for the men, okay? The wives are like, yes, now for the men. The first thing I want husbands to see is this, the call to be considerate, the call to be considerate. Verse 7, you husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, in an understanding way. Here we see the call to live with our wives, to live with your wife in an understanding way. Literally, Peter says, live according to knowledge. Live according to knowledge. Husbands, it may come as a shock, but your wife is very different from you. Often, by comparison, you seem quite simple and she seems very complex. God says, if this marriage relationship is to blossom, you have to come to know her, to know her, to really know her and understand your wife. You're called to live with her according to knowledge, according to knowledge. You have to live with her according to knowledge of her, not just women in general, but of her specifically. You have to live with her according to knowledge. Knowledge of her character and her taste, her strengths and weaknesses, her dislikes and likes. You have to live with the knowledge of her pleasures and her pursuits, her limits, and where she will flourish without limits. Submissiveness is designed to work in harmony with knowledge. It really only works in harmony, husbands, when you know your wife, when the decisions and calls you make are for her flourishing so that she doesn't have to look out for herself because you're doing that for for her. You're putting her needs above your own, what's best for her above what's best for you. But 
you can't do that well if you don't really know her well. That's why my number one advice to new husbands has always been this. Husband, be a student of your wife. Be a student of your wife. Be a lifetime, lifelong learner in her school. Yes, she is that complicated and complex. But also know this. Know this. 20 years after your wedding day, she will be a different person than the person you first married. She is complex and she is a moving target. Okay? You will need to apply yourself. You will need to study hard in order to know her as you ought. You will need to learn to love her, learn how to love her. And a wise God commands you to do this. He commands you to seek understanding and seek knowledge here. School is never over for you. But the subject is always worth studying. Amen? Amen. So, listen to the wisdom of God, husbands. Live with your wife according to knowledge. Live with her in an understanding and considerate way, being a student of her for life. God's second word to husbands is this. The command to show honor, verse 7. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Show her honor, verse 7 says. In an age of confusion about gender, we need to be convinced of this, that femininity is a glorious thing created by God. We need to remember that in the beginning, God said, let us make mankind in our own image, and he created them male and female in the image of God. In other words, only together are we adequate image bearers. In relationship with one another, as uniquely male and female, we most faithfully reflect the image of a relational God. We do that together. If we believe that that is true, then showing honor is what we ought to be doing. Young man, you ought to honor all women. All women. Like each one is a unique image bearer of God. Treat them as they are, as they really are. Husband, you ought to honor your wife. Especially as you recognize these two things about her. Verse 7. Honor your wife as you recognize the ways in which she is weaker. What does that mean? Peter says she's the weaker vessel. What does that mean? Why does Peter refer to women as the weaker vessel? I think Peter is certainly not making a statement about the character, intellect, or abilities of women. Jesus' life and ministry would have taught him different. The women in the Gospels often seem far more faithful and far more able than the men. You ever realize that? 
they certainly show a greater strength of character after Jesus is crucified. The men are all hiding. Peter is denying that he even knew Jesus. But the women are preparing him for burial. You could say that God himself honors women by making them the first witnesses of the resurrection, of the greatest event in history. So, in what ways then are women the weaker vessel? It's in the ways you would think. The way you would think. Even our society today still recognizes. Women are the weaker vessel in that women are more prone to being oppressed. More prone to being oppressed. Historically, that's true. Women are physically weaker than men. And when you couple that fact with men's sinful tendency to abuse his strength and power, the result is that women throughout history have been far more vulnerable. I think this is the main sense in which Peter says women are weaker. If there is another sense here as well, it's probably that women were made more physiologically and emotionally complicated. There may very well be a recognition here in the Bible of the complexity of hormones thousands of years before anyone knew they existed. Right here. You heard it first. But whatever the case, what response God does God intend for this weakness to have? What's the response he intends? In one word, the response to weakness is honor. Honor. Show her honor. She's the weaker vessel. Show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. In Jesus' upside-down kingdom, honor flows not to strength, but to weakness. Right? This is so much the case that Paul says, I will boast in my strengths. No. I will boast in my weaknesses. For where I am weak, there Christ's power makes me strong. So, husbands, honor your wives in their weaknesses. And honor them knowing this, verse 7, that they are fellow heirs of the grace of life. I want to very quickly return to something and drive this point home about roles and worth. I, I picked that up in the beginning. I want to return to it now. It's easy to assume wrongly that because God assigns different roles to husband and wife, that he also assigns different values to husband and wife. If you think that's what the Bible implies, then you don't understand what the Bible says about God himself. The Bible reveals that God exists as a trinity in relationship with himself. And each person in the trinity has different roles. As we've already seen, as we've already said, the Son of God submits His will to the Father, to God the Father. And the Spirit goes wherever the Father and the Son send Him. The Spirit's mission isn't to bring attention to Himself, but to bring glory to the Son. Now, we could look at those different roles and falsely assume that some of them imply an inferiority of personhood. The son submitting to the father, 
the Spirit always making much of the Son, doesn't that imply inferiority? No, it doesn't. Different roles in a relationship doesn't necessarily imply different values. It doesn't work that way with God. The Son who submits to the Father is co-equal and co-eternal with the Father. The Spirit who glorifies the Son is just as much God as the Son and an equal partner in God's glory. So, if you think the Bible implies that wives are somehow relationally inferior to husbands, then you don't understand what the Bible says about God himself. And you don't understand what the Bible says here. Verse 7. Verse 7 says, Husbands and wives are both co-heirs, equal partners with Jesus in eternal life. As male and female, they will inherit exactly alike the new creation that Jesus has purchased for them. Both man and woman are co-heirs and will sit with Jesus upon his throne in the world we all want. The Bible's view stands in sharp contrast to the way it is in Islam, to the way it is in Mormonism, and many other world religions as far as I understand them. These religious systems often give women something of a second-class status, especially in the beliefs about what comes after life, second-class status. But Peter warns us that there will be consequences if you believe that. There will be consequences for treating women like inferiors. We see it in verse 7. Honor her as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Here's our final heading. I want you to see, husbands, the consequences of failure here. The consequences of failure. Men, failure to recognize women as co-equals will have an impact on your relationship with God. Husbands, failing to honor your wife as a fellow heir of eternal life comes with this negative consequence. Verse 7, your prayers will be hindered. The God of the Bible is the God of relationships, and he cares deeply about them. He cares so much that the man who mistreats his wife will have a roadblock put up between his prayers and God's ears. That's a shocking truth. It was shocking in the first century. It is still shocking today. To the man who won't listen to his wife, God says, I won't listen to him. You won't listen to your wife? Very well. I'm not going to listen to your prayers. We husbands deserve all the difficulties we fall into because we refuse to listen to our wives. God knows it. Our wife knows it. You should know it as well. Let's remember, God is the God of relationships. And here is something huge he wants you to see. Husbands, the way you want Christ 
to treat you is the way you ought to treat your wife. Do you want Jesus to listen to what distresses you? Then you better listen to what distresses your wife. Do you want Jesus' reassurance of love when you fail? Then you ought to reassure your wife of your love when she fails. How patient do you want Jesus to be with you, husbands? That's the kind of patience you should show to your wife. How much forgiveness do you need from Jesus? You ought to reflect the same level of forgiveness to your wife. The Bible tells us again and again that God designed the marriage relationship between a man and a woman to reflect a greater reality, a greater relationship, the relationship between Christ and his church, between Jesus and his people. That's what makes marriage really amazing. That's the amazing thing about marriage. It's not as though, the Bible says, it's not as though God were looking for a metaphor and marriage just happened to work well. Instead, the Bible says that before time began, God actually designed the marriage relationship to reflect the kind of relationship he always intended to have with his people. In marriage, God gives us a small foretaste of what is coming for all God's children, male and female, those who experience flawed marriages in this life, and those who never marry. As we close, let me speak a quick word to those who aren't married. And particularly, I want to speak to the unmarried group that most needs to be spoken directly to, young men, okay, I'm speaking to you right now, young men, because all these truths still apply. Young man, you ought to treat women with all consideration and respect because God sees and cares about those relationships also. You may one day marry that Christian young lady or you may not. You may skip the foretaste in life and go straight to the substance in the next. Christianity, by the way, is the only religion I know of that both singleness and marriage are good gifts. Both are meant to prepare us for eternity. But young man, whether your time of singleness is short-lived or long-lived, you are still called to be careful and considerate in how you treat all the women in your life. They always, all of them always deserve honor as image bearers of God, and as co-heirs in Christ. They are precious in God's sight. God's warning against mistreating women falls on you just as much as it falls upon husbands. Listen carefully if anyone in the church tells you that something you're doing looks inappropriate. Even if it's not, even if it's innocent, we are to guard against even the appearance of evil. As a young man, welcome that kind of input into your life. Ask for it and realize this, you are not God's gift to women. And you don't have any of them figured out. Seek out 
the advice of older men who've been students far longer, and you can learn a lot from our mistakes. <laughs> Let's never forget, our God is a God of relationships. He designed them. He knows what's best. We will get what is best out of every relationship when we look at Jesus and let his submissiveness, his holiness, his gentle spirit, his kind understanding overflow from our hearts and spill out into the relationships around us. Let's pray. Father, there are great truths here and hard truths. But Lord, I pray that in a flawed world and sinful relationships, we would be falling forward. We would be reaching for these uh, ideals, the way you've designed our relationships to work. May we see the beauty of it. May we ask for forgiveness freely, uh, often when we fall short of it. Uh, but Lord, may we all look to Jesus and find in him uh, more than just the example. May we find in him the motivation, the motivation to follow after him in uh, doing relationships the way you have designed. Uh, Lord, we thank you. You are good. You are kind to tell us these things. May we apply them to our lives and may our relationships and the people in our relationships flourish because of them. We ask this in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen.